Hi, everyone. Before we start, just a quick announcement to let you know, I'm giving away three signed copies of my book, The Fix. They'll be autographed by me, as well as Julian Anderson and Jennifer Nadel, who both wrote my forward. You'll also receive one apparel item from my store at www.michellepking.com. And you'll also receive an opportunity to be featured on my podcast. All you have to do is leave a book review on Amazon and you'll automatically go in the draw to win. Winners will be announced on LinkedIn on April 30th. So leave a review today and get in the draw to win. We've had a practice, many of our cultures, for a very long time of really assuming that we can tell what someone's gender identity is going to be based on their body parts when they're either still in utero or just born. And we've learned, you know, in the past years that really body parts are not a reliable indicator of someone's gender identity. We're taking a guess and sometimes we get it right, often we get it right. But many times we actually don't. And then it's the onus is on the the kid or the teenager or the adult to invite us into the truth about who they are. But by that point, there may have been a lot of harm and damage done. So I think we're coming into a space where we're recognizing that we can make a guess, but it's important to acknowledge that it's a guess. I'm your host, Michelle King, and my gender pronouns are she, her, and hers. And you're listening to The Fix, a podcast that shares the remarkable stories of people who are innovating and taking action to advance equality in the workplace and beyond. September 2019, Grammy Award-winning singer-songwriter Sam Smith announced on Instagram that they decided to start using gender-neutral pronouns. Sam posted an image that said, my pronouns are they, them, and wrote a caption opening with, today is a good day, so here goes. I've decided I'm changing my pronouns to they, them. After a lifetime of being at war with my gender, I've decided to embrace myself for who I am, inside and out. Sam received a lot of pushback from fans and members of the media who were either unable or unwilling to accept the change. I know a lot of listeners might be wondering, why do pronouns matter? What is it with all the she, her, hers? Why is it important to let people know what your pronouns are? I've had people ask me all these questions and more. The good news is today, with the help of inclusion expert Julia Stern, we're going to answer all these questions. On this episode, we'll unpack everything you need to know about personal pronouns, language, and why it matters. Personal pronouns are the words we use in place of specific people, places, or things. Pronouns like me, myself, and I are how people talk about themselves. And pronouns like you, she, he, and they are some of the pronouns that people use to talk about others. 
A person's pronouns are the third person singular pronouns that they'd like other people to use for them. Personal pronouns are used to convey a person's gender identity, but this doesn't always align with the sex a person was assigned at birth. Some people change their pronouns to reflect this, and others give them up altogether, preferring only to be referred to by name. To acknowledge different gender identities, in 2014, Facebook added more than 50 custom gender options for users who don't identify as simply male or female. After Sam Smith announced their pronouns, Merriam-Webster stated that they can also be used to refer to a single person whose gender identity is non-binary, meaning they don't identify as male or female. We're even seeing senators like Kamala Harris introducing herself by stating that her pronouns are she, her, and hers. Now, some of you might be wondering, what's with the focus on personal pronouns? Here, Julia explains why personal pronouns matter and what their experience is with this. I have been using they and them pronouns since 2014, and it's been a really interesting journey. I feel very privileged that at the time I was working at a LGBTQ youth-serving nonprofit called Hetrick Martin Institute, and it was a space where asking folks for pronouns and not assuming pronouns was just incredibly common practice. Um, So it gave me a very intentional, explicit space to try something that otherwise I might not have actually tried because it takes so much effort to ask people to switch pronouns for you unless they're asking you that question on a regular basis. Um, But I realized that actually I wanted folks to use she and they for me. And I'm a very feminine presenting person who's assigned female at birth. So, you know, folks always assume that she is my pronoun. But I noticed that when I asked people to kind of interchange them, two things happened. One was that for most people, even though I asked them to use both, they defaulted to she uh, just because it was what they'd been, you know, acculturated to do. And the other thing that happened is that when people use they for me, I experienced an unexpected sense of what we call gender euphoria, which is just to say, it felt great. (laughs) It felt uh, really affirming. And shortly thereafter, I actually moved uh, to the Netherlands and I realized, oh, I, I have an opportunity to just, I have a blank slate. I can ask people to use whatever pronoun I want. And actually, they just feel so much more like me. So let's just use that one. And when I switched over full time, I realized that, you know, anyone who's been speaking English for however many years they've been speaking it really is going to have to do a lot of work to kind of relearn a norm. I mean, we were all taught when we were very young that you look at a person and you kind of just eyeball their gender presentation for more masculine or more feminine features and choose he or she based on that. But it's actually not, if it's true for me that my gender presentation is not indicative of the pronoun that people assume it is, then it's really not a reliable way to figure out what feels good for anyone else either. So I think that's, that's how it became really clear to me that I don't actually feel like the amount of work that goes into it is too much of a barrier because now, actually, the longer I've been using they, them pronouns, the more she feels funny and out of place and like I'm not seen. And so I'm quite patient. And I have this conversation with people, you know, 
pretty much every day. Um, and I probably will for, <laughs> for a really long time, but it's worth it for me to just pave the way for the next person because, um, you know, if we just normalize that practice a bit of saying, hey, my name's Julia, pronouns are they and them. How about you? And really treat pronouns the way we treat names. You know, I actually don't think it's that heavy of a lift. We already have something <laughs> in terms of referring to one another that we need information about before we go ahead and use it. You know, I wouldn't meet you, Michelle, and say, well, you look like a Lauren, so I'm, I'm going to call you that. Like, I, I wait until you tell me what your name is to use a name for you. Um, so if we just couple names and pronouns, then I think we'll be, we'll be in the clear. I'm really optimistic that we can get there. Personal pronouns represent gender identity, which is different from biological sex. Gender is a social construct, a shared understanding of what it means to be male or female. And we associate masculine and feminine roles to these gender identities. These are prescribed roles. They're set and created by society. And men and women are expected to conform to these roles. This sets the standard for behavior and expectations that all of us have to live up to. The challenge is, not everyone identifies with these binary choices. Here, Julia explains gender identity in more detail. We've had a practice, many of our cultures, for a very long time of really assuming that we can tell what someone's gender identity is going to be based on their body parts when they're either still in utero or just born. And we've learned, you know, in the past years that really body parts are not a, a reliable indicator of someone's gender identity. We're taking a guess, and sometimes we get it right, often we get it right, but many times we actually don't. And then it's the onus is on the, the kid or the teenager or the adult to invite us into the truth about who they are, but by that point, there may have been a lot of harm and damage done. So I think we're coming into a space where we're recognizing that we can make a guess, but it's important to acknowledge that it's a guess, right? You can see a vulva and a vagina or a, a scrotum and a penis and say, you know, I'm, I'm pretty sure this is going to be a girl or I'm pretty sure this is going to be a boy. Although, of course, there are lots of intersex folks as well in the world. But regardless of what kind of body anyone has, really their gender identity, who they understand themselves to be, you know, what their brain is like, their sense of manness, womanness, non-binariness, whatever it may be, is something that only they can know. And I think it's a really liberating idea for folks. And I think it's why we see more and more young people, you know, identifying as trans or non-binary or agender or, you know, gender non-conforming. It's not because there are suddenly more trans people in the world. It's because we're just giving them a little bit more space to have an honest exploration of what really feels authentic to them. And with that comes, you know, uh, exploration of gender presentations. So, you know, clothing or haircuts or all that good stuff, but also really identity and who we feel ourselves to be and saying, well, I identify as, for instance, an agender person. I don't really have a sense of gender. I explored it and I couldn't find anything there. And, you know, that's really normal and healthy. There's a, a big wide, beautiful spectrum of gender identities. And there actually always has been all over the world. And so we're in a very beautiful moment of just giving people a little bit of space to, to ask themselves the question of, hey, what actually feels 
good to me and to ask it on an ongoing basis because the answer might actually shift with time too. If your gender identity matches your biological sex, in this case, people who like me identify as a woman and were born female, it's hard to appreciate the cost that everyday misgendering can have, like when people get your pronouns wrong. Intentionally calling someone by the wrong pronoun can make them feel disrespected or alienated, and this can take a toll on their mental health. It can also be offensive or considered harassment. Here, Julia explains the cost of misgendering in more detail. So why, is, why does this matter? I would say um, it matters for a couple of reasons. And the first one is that, uh, you know, when someone uses the wrong pronouns for someone else, we call it a misgendering. And misgendering is something that some people experience maybe once in their life. You know, it's they go into a store and a clerk says, oh, thank you, sir, or thank you, madam. Um, and that's not actually how they identify, maybe because they just got a haircut or just they're wearing different clothing or whatever. And it doesn't really register as something that wounds, right? It doesn't. It's not a deep paper cut. But when you're someone who had to fight really hard to be seen as the gender that you are on an ongoing basis, sometimes from the time you were a little kid or sometimes when you realized as an adult that actually, you know, what you'd been assigned doesn't really quite align with who you are. And then folks misgender you in an ongoing way, it really becomes kind of a cumulative wound, right? It's like that pinprick that doesn't get to heal because it keeps getting pricked (laughs) in the same spot over and over and over again. And it becomes really tender. And it's just a reminder that, you know, A, people don't really see you for who you are and B, that they're not willing to put in the work to respect you. I think it's helpful to compare pronouns and names because, you know, if you tell someone what your name is and they keep intentionally getting it wrong, it feels really disrespectful. It feels like they don't want to honor you. And pronouns, they function in a very similar way. And especially for those people who experience it pretty much on a daily basis, it just, it grows. And so if we want to honor and respect people who are trans, non-binary, gender variant in any way, making the effort to get their pronouns right is a fundamental sign of respect and honoring who they are. It's normally at this point in the conversation that all the English grammar fanatics start to tense up with the idea of using third-person pronouns like them, theirs, and they to refer to an individual. Here, Julia explains why this is a non-issue. On the question of grammar, it is true for most of us if we learned English in school that we were taught that they, them is a plural pronoun and that he and she are the singular pronouns. But when we actually look at the usage, right, we find that most people in English, when they don't know who someone is, so they cannot actually gender them yet, will use they and them as a singular neutral pronoun. So for instance, hey, someone left their jacket in the room, I hope they come back for it. And so we see that actually we're already using they and them as a singular neutral pronoun all the time. It's just that when we find out that, oh, it was Bob who left the jacket, then we immediately default to he. So I would actually say it's not a grammatical problem. It's more of a 
a gendering problem. <laughs> and there are also many, many cases in literature of using they as a singular neutral pronoun for centuries in English. So in a way, singular they actually precedes the singular you. But people don't tend to respond to the literary argument because, of course, writers can take all sorts of uh, you know, liberties in their writing. Um, what tends to really hit folks, I had this conversation with my own father at some point when he said, hey, you know, that, that pronoun is plural. And I said, but you just used it as a singular. You know, you said, how do I refer to someone when I don't know their name? That's using they as a singular neutral pronoun. And so I think we, we've just got to get comfortable with sticking with they and them when we find out who someone is. Most of us are not used to thinking about what pronouns others use to refer to themselves. So we might make assumptions about someone else's pronouns based on their name or appearance. Even for those of us who are used to it, we still make mistakes. I work with Julia, and often I trip up and refer to them as her. And when I do, I feel terrible. But it's not about your feelings. The trick is what you do to recover when you've made a mistake. Here, Julia shares a fantastic fix for self-correcting. How folks should proceed when they get it wrong. I just want to say that that is going to happen. <laughs> I get my own pronoun wrong every once in a while, and I get other people's pronouns wrong every once in a while. And it's really important that we approach ourselves and each other with grace so long as we're putting in the effort to practice and get it right. So if you get someone's pronoun wrong, I made a little acronym for this. It's ACM, apologize, correct, move on. I find it helpful. And the reason why those three steps are important are because you, know, you really want to apologize to acknowledge that there's been a little bit of an injury um, in the misgendering. And then the correction becomes important for two reasons. One, because you actually want to name the pronoun that the person does use to affirm them. And also, it will really help you remember it and get it right the next time to say it out loud. And then the third piece is, sounds obvious, but actually I think might be the least intuitive, which is move on. We often have the impulse because we feel a little guilty and uncomfortable after misgendering someone. Like we need to, you know, stay in that moment and say, I'm so sorry. I, I swear I'm trying. This is really hard. And I would actually advise that we don't do that. I would say it's, if I say, you know, Michelle went to the store and he bought apples. Oh, sorry. She bought apples. And then she paid for them and went about her day, right? It's, it's important that we can just not make that moment about us and our feelings, but really acknowledge it apologize, correct it, and then move on into the, the next thing. It's too easy to dismiss the impact of words. But when it comes to equality, language matters. It's a powerful tool for demonstrating inclusion, belonging, and equity. It's also the one way all of us can practice equality. Here, Julia shares the transformative impact our words can have. I think that for many of us, you know, in particular, those of us who are not trans or non-binary, and you know, that was me for a long time, at least I didn't think of myself that way, it's really difficult to grasp the impact that, that a little word has. And so we kind of get stuck in the one piece that we do know really well, which is our own intentions. And I think intentions matter, right? There's a really big difference between intentionally misgendering someone and accidentally slipping up on a pronoun. But in the end, 
the impact that we have on someone really is more important than what our intention is, which is why the practice piece is so important, right? It's if we get it wrong by accident and we get it wrong by accident and we keep getting it wrong by accident, then we really have to ask ourselves, you know, hey, how am I actually putting in the work here to get it right? Because it's hard, um, but there are ways to improve. I also think that gender is so ubiquitous in the English language. You know, there are languages uh, where pronouns are not gendered at all and people communicate just fine, <laughs> but that's not true of English. And if you're cisgender, right, if you're not transgender, if you do identify exclusively with the sex you were assigned at birth, then you probably don't notice it because it's not a pain point for you, right? When people make any kind of statement about when girls get their periods, for instance, right? And actually, well, there are lots of people who get their periods. Some of them are girls, some of them are non-binary, some of them are trans boys. There's lots of ways that it comes up. Binary couplets too, like he or she, ladies and gentlemen. And I just think there are lots of little things that throughout the day, if you are a trans person or a non-binary person, you definitely notice all of those things and they take an emotional toll on you. It's exhausting to feel like the world around you wasn't really built for you and to have that reinforced in people's language. Whereas actually, on the other hand, when people make an effort and say, you know, welcome everyone instead of welcome ladies and gentlemen, or say they instead of he or she, which is just more inclusive and better for word economy in general, it feels so welcoming and affirming because it's not the expectation. So I think that actually with a little bit of lift, being intentional and inclusive with our language around gender makes a huge, huge difference for lots of people. Even for people who are cisgender, who experience gender stereotypes, I think it's it actually benefits everyone to use the inclusive language. It just means that everyone's got possibilities and options, even if they don't choose to take them. So I actually think that language is one of the most powerful tools we have to create a world where we, you know, respect and affirm and, and love each other. Lastly, Julia shares one action that each of us can take to be more inclusive when it comes to personal pronouns. I think one of the best things that cis people can do is to help normalize the pairing of pronouns and names together. So that means that in your email signature or um, when you introduce yourself, if you can get to a place where you don't put someone else in a position to assume your pronouns, then you really, A, help normalize the practice of not assuming people's gender pronouns and making sure that you get it right. But also you mark yourself as a safe person for a trans or non-binary gender person to really invite you into their truth and to tell you what their pronouns are. It's not necessarily safe to share your pronouns in the world that we live in. So if you can say, hey, I'm Sam, my pronouns are she and her, then you know someone in the room who's feeling like a big spotlight on them to share it and then potentially have lots of questions asked of them when they just want to be doing their work or go about their day. The emotional lift for a cisgender person is just a lot less to actually explain why that's important than it is for a trans person who's actually being misgendered all day. So I would say that that's probably number one for me as a non-binary person. The thing that would help me the most 
But I also think for binary trans folks, you know, transgender women and, and transgender men, there's a really important practice in my mind, which is to not try to assess people's gender identity based on their gender expression. Really, don't believe your eyes, believe your ears. I think it's a tough one because we have to unlearn that we can tell what someone's gender is by looking at them. But it's so important for us to really honor who people are by believing them when they tell us who they are. hope you all enjoyed this interview with Julia. You know, I've been doing this podcast now for about three years. And with every episode, my aim is to learn more and share what I've learned. You know, we're on this journey together. So I just want to give each of you the grace that you need to feel comfortable asking questions, discussing difficult topics, and admitting what you don't know. Because this is how we learn. Hopefully, this podcast is a safe space for you to explore some challenging topics. Thanks again for tuning in today. And just a quick reminder before you go that you can sign up to my weekly newsletter at michellepeking.com. You can also reach out to me there for interview requests or to be featured on the show. Thanks again for tuning in and I'll catch you all again next week. Music.